0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com Trek trekfm.
1: Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Or request permission
0: to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week is Sebastian Pruth. Sebastian, that is a nice cowboy hat you're wearing today.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I I got it special for this mission.
0: (laughs) I'm glad that you dressed up for today's discussion of North Star. (laughs) I, I have to say, I don't know if you're quite pulling off that motif as well as Scott Bakula did, but I think it works pretty well for you.
1: You know, he looked pretty badass, didn't he, in that um He really did. That cowboy getup.
0: <laughs> Everyone looked great in this episode. I even think Jolene Blaylock really pulled off the dress and covering her ears as well.
1: Yeah, she didn't get those stuck in an electric rice picker. <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah, well today we're gonna to talk about we don't do episode discussions per se that often here on the show. We usually talk about minutiae of the series, but This is an episode we did want to talk about because it's pretty unique with an Enterprise and it's also very unique in that it falls roughly in the middle of the third season in the Zindi arc and it has nothing to do with the Zindi arc and it is another trip by Star Trek to the Wild Wild West. So I'm going to cue my Will Smith music right there. (laughs) No, not really. Only in my head. So, Sebastian, let's talk about this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot has changed since you left. Before we start talking about the episode, though, I do want to remind everyone about our reviews promotion. We're actually extending this promotion by a couple of weeks to give everyone a little more time to get in, and also because we have a great new prize for those who review the Axenar podcast. We're going to be running this through August 17th, and I'll tell you all the details at the end of the show, so stay tuned to that. You can win some great Star Trek prizes. All right, Sebastian, uh, I was talking to you about a topic for Warp 5 and something you're interested in talking about, and you mentioned that you really love North Star.
1: Yeah, I love this episode. It's a great Star Trek Enterprise episode in my opinion and you were just saying that a lot of fans don't like this episode because it kind of goes back into the wild wild west and folks are kind of sick of it.
0: Mixed reactions for sure.
1: I really really liked this one and back when it was first run I guess what 2003 sometime around then or 4 right in the middle of the Zindi arc which everyone was you know very much swept away and you know what's going to happen to Earth is Captain Archer. Going to be able to save everybody. And uh, this kind of gave us a little break from that. And it's like, we're not dealing with the Zindi, but we're dealing with something cooler because now we're dealing with cowboys and six shooters and spittoons and saloons and we're at Universal again.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> did, did you see this in First Run when it came a- out? Absolutely. Were you, yeah. you were watching every week mm-hmm. because I think the reaction in that sense. There there are actually two topics here, I think, with regard to fan reaction. The first one being that it's a Wild West episode, and the second being that it is in the middle of the Zindi arc. And with respect to that, I think that the way that you feel about that may differ when you're watching the Zindi arc now versus when you were watching it in first run. Because when you watch it now, and especially if you're binge-watching, and you're watching that season straight through as quickly as you can, which is what I always recommend to people... This feels a bit like a speed bump that "Hmm, here's this episode that has nothing to do with the rest of the story. Why is it here? But when you were watching it in first run, maybe you felt like, oh, thank goodness, here is a Star Trek episode that is kind of like what I'm used to.
1: I kind of look at it from a different perspective, because when I was watching it in first run, yes, I was enjoying the Zindi arc, but because we all know that Starfleet exists in the 24th century because Earth Enterprise is a prequel, I was never really worried about whether Archer would save Earth. Mm. I just was never really worried about it. I was like, well, he's going to take care of it. We're going to have a cool adventure along the way and meet some cool latex-wearing aliens.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> But not the kind that Kirk would want to meet, right?
1: No, 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 definitely. <laughs> but, you know, but it, we got to see Scott Bakula, Captain Archer, be a cowboy in this episode. And he, as we were saying before, he wore the clothes well. And he, you know, got to deal with that scene with the the kid who was challenged by the deputy sheriff. And he was like, shoot me between the eyes uh, if you dare. And Scott kind of moves his jacket back and you could see him getting ready to, to draw that six shooter and it's like this is so cool
0: but as it turns out he didn't need to shoot him because he could knock him out with just one punch well i mean
1: (laughs) he's just as strong as uh as captain kirk but this guy uh, runs marathons
0: right i i think it's on the commentary (laughs) that's on the blu-rays with david a goodman and chris black where they talk about how we've been conditioned by movies and television for so many years to believe that it only takes one punch to just knock someone out cold for an extended period of time. And now, maybe in some rare cases, someone can do that. But in just in your average fight, just that one punch like we see in this episode isn't going to have quite that effect.
1: Well, I think what it really kind of sells is that Starfleet, you know, are kind of more... Disciplined, they're strong. They exercise. And then you have this drunk deputy sheriff yeah. who smokes all the time. He's sweaty because he's so disgustingly out of shape and always way too hot. So Archer dispatches him easily after he gets really, 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 really overconfident with that horseshoe remover. Uh, farrier's <laughs> right. tool and he just swings it gets stuck in the side of the barn oh you're talking about
0: that scene i'm talking about the scene when he goes in to break bethany out of jail and he says "Oh, Yo, yeah. i forgot something and then he just punches him in the face and then he takes the keys and takes his guns
1: yeah he's still just as sweaty and disgusting in that scene <laughs> <laughs> right
0: <laughs> well the other thing is this is something that David A. Goodman talks about on the commentary as well, is that one reason this episode exists is because Rick and Brandon weren't completely sold on the idea of doing, and Brandon's talked about this as well, completely sold on the idea of doing the Zindi story for the entire season when they started out. So they wanted to have a few stories where if they decided to cut that short, well, they're going to have more material to go with there. And... I was curious how you feel, it doesn't tie in completely to this episode, but how you feel about that uncertainty going into that season, rather than being like, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to take every episode to tell the story, versus we're going to start down this really unique road, but we might bail on it a few episodes in.
1: You know, I can identify with this as a producer of Star Trek. You know, we talk about what do we want this season to be about? Well, we want to have a situation where... Captain Edwards is chasing the truth about what happened to his science officer. At the same time, he finds out more about himself and his crew get to know him better. And we want to have this last the rest of however many episodes. And we had the same conversation. How long do we want this story to last? And it's dangerous in television because they go, OK, well, we want to tell a season long story. Well, do we have enough story to mm-hmm. fill 26 44 minute segments and you know, it, that's a lot of story and you'll find that as enterprise season three was closing to an end they started to sort of stretch the story out and they were like okay well here's an episode about degra here's an episode about you know this you know th- they would Uh, just the andorians interest in the zindi weapon which was probably Mm -hmm. an afterthought which was proving grounds that 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 episode was probably an afterthought because they're like well we need to make this story last a season so i understand exactly where they were coming from they were nervous about that maybe you said they were developing other stories they could slot in and, and this was definitely work mm-hmm. for that with North Star because, you know, you got your break from the Zindi, but you didn't get a break from a constant action show, which Enterprise became in season three.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I have a little different reading on, I think with the Andorian interest in the Zindi weapon, you're probably right that that was something where we need to stretch this out a little bit. It does feel that way a little bit, although... It it can be used to set up the founding of the Federation a bit because of the involvement between the Andorians and the Vulcans and why the Andorians want the weapon. And then Shran getting closer to Archer and their cooperation and what, what all that leads to. But that's way out, right? That would be setting up things for season four and then five and six and beyond. So now the Degra story I thought was really important because I think that it was critical to show... A personal human side of yeah, him. human side to what was going on with Archer in particular, and with Degra we've done a show on here before where we've talked about the how Degra is Oppenheimer essentially, and mm-hmm. I think it was important to tell that story, and the same here with this story, you see the human side of it for Archer as well, like his concern really is that these people overcome the prejudice in the situation he knows he can't take them back to earth so he's going to figure out a way to uh
1: well he has that whole conversation with the sheriff it's like you know if you do make it back to earth you're going to have to leave all of that behind right and 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 he's like well i didn't even think earth existed i thought it was somewhere people made up because they couldn't stand living here yeah you know earth was this sort of dream to them
0: it's just like battlestar galactica right (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> except for they weren't driving along in a caravan of ships. They were in, they were in covered wagons. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Well, before we leave the the opening here, and why fans, maybe they're very mixed on this episode. The other thing besides it falling in the Zindi arc is the Wild West aspect to it. Initially, when you see this, and I think I felt this way as well when it first aired, was that, oh, they're going to do a Western episode. We've had Spectre of the Gun. We've had a fistful of datas. They're going to do that again. But then as you watch along, you realize that this is actually a different episode mm-hmm. than those. It's not just, you know, Spectre of the Gun, it's a fun episode and it's a, we've got to do an episode and we have no money. So what can we do? Uh, we can have buildings that don't have all their walls and it's sort of kind of a, Creation of your mind, almost, and then you've got a fistful of datas, which was just a really fun holodeck story. Whereas this one actually has a, a meaty story to it about prejudice and about how humans change and about how two groups of people learn to distrust each other over time and how hard it is to overcome that.
1: Yeah. Uh... That's a really good way of looking at North Star, but I also kind of looked at it whereas it isn't a Western at all. This is not a Western. And this is before the Prime Directive. This is before the Federation. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're beaming down to this planet and going, oh, crap. We can't tell them about our phasers, communicators, and all the uh, shuttlecrafts, all, all that stuff that we have from from our world. We can't tell them because they just... They're human beings and everything, but they're just violent and we can tell. They've already, the first scene of this episode sets up your expectation of this people by hanging somebody. You Mm go, oh, that's where these guys are. They hang people in the street at night. That's the first thing you see. So you know that these guys are not going to be accepting if you kind of walk in and say, hey, look, check out my face pistol.
0: Oh, right, 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 right.
1: (laughs) They're just going to shoot you for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So well, okay. So, in this feels like an old school Star Trek episode to me, very much. And this is something that I think everyone on the commentary. There are two commentaries for this, by the way. If if you have, if you're listening to this and you've never heard the commentaries, there is one with Michael Demerit, who was the first assistant director, first AD on this episode. That one's been around for a long time. It was on the DVD set. From two thousand five, but it's also in the Blu Ray, and then there's a new one with David A. Goodman, who wrote the episode, and also Chris Black, and I think they all talk about how this really does feel like an original series episode, and I think it really does as well. uh The cold open is great. They said they did the cold open the way they did to kind of throw the viewers off, like has has Star Trek Enterprise been preempted or something? What's going on here? Because we know we don't have holodecks at this point, right? So it can't be holodeck story but i also feel like the horses coming in and the lighting and all it feels like an original series episode just shot with modern camera equipment
1: it does and you could kind of look at it that way because not only could you swap out all the characters you could swap archer out for james kirk you mm-hmm. could swap T'Pol out for Spock and Trip out for whichever character you choose
0: for me Trip was McCoy there's the scene where they're they're walking down and first you see Archer and T'Pol talking and I feel like that's Kirk and Spock I mean the, the dialogue the way they're walking together everything it's like Kirk and Spock in you know City on the Edge Forever or wherever it is where they find themselves out of place and then when Trip comes in I feel like well there's Bones and of course, they are the three. You know, Archer, T'Pol, and, and Trip are the triumvirate of Enterprise, whereas it was Kirk, Spock, and Bones on the original series. And boy, I mean, they fit the bill perfectly. I can just, I can just imagine the TOS characters walking down the episode. Totally works for me. Like it's just somewhere in the. You could swap the characters
1: seasons. out and it would work. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when Trip comes out and says, oh, yeah, this place is authentic 19th century mm-hmm. West mm-hmm. right down to the spittoons. Mm-hmm. If McCoy said that line, mm-hmm. that would be fine. Absolutely. You know, uh, when mm-hmm. they go to take the horse and uh, to Paul and Trip go and he's like, well, let me show you. He's like, I had a problem actually with that scene because I was watching it today for the 5,000th time and uh uh you have um uh, trip saying well i don't really have any money it's kind of steep to to buy a horse for $20 it did sound like a lot of money mm-hmm. really for you know the 1870s or whatever if you think about deadwood that sounds like a lot of money for a horse but um what i was kind of kind of like oh, how, why is the guy saying that is he produces a harmonica and he hands it to the guy and his first reaction is I haven't seen one of these in years. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a great line to leave in the script to rewrite later. But why the heck would he have seen one years ago on this faraway planet and not have them now?
0: Well, okay. Well, why do they not have them now? That would be the question. Now, why would he have seen one? Well, their ancestors maybe had harmonicas with them when they were. Right. There might have been one in someone's
1: pocket when they got taken.
0: As for why they don't have them now, my theory is that Cooper Smith is actually David A. Goodman and he banned harmonicas because one of the funniest things uh, on the commentary is that David says that he really wanted to get rid of Tripp's harmonica. So he wrote it out of the show in this episode because you don't see it again after this. This trip leaves it.
1: That's a credible <laughs> little thing because I always liked his harmonica. Being a, a harmonica like player myself, yeah. I've played the harmonica for twenty years. Oh, really? And I kind of liked seeing it.
0: <laughs> I don't. I don't play harmonica. I do. I am a musician. I actually am trained. In music, but I don't play harmonica, but I like Trip having the harmonica because it gives that kind of feel. He's a really laid back guy. He's closer to our own time. I think it was a nice touch on the show, but apparently David didn't like it because he said, I really wanted to write that harmonica out of the show. <laughs> Another interesting point about the harmonica in here is that the one they used, and this probably won't surprise people who you know, deal with creative uh, production and all, but it didn't work. They made it intentionally padded so it won't work, so that they um could put the sound in later. But also, uh, they it looks big, and apparently mm-hmm. that was done for authenticity. That harmonicas were larger like that at the time.
1: Well, it, it, the thing is, it's not the same harmonica that he's playing in the episode when he's playing ah. it with his feet up on the desk, and they mm-hmm. come out of warp, and he looks out the window and he sees something. Yeah. I can't remember what the episode was. We'll see.
0: That's that's where he he was prepared for David's dislike of the harmonica. He's got a whole stash of them in his quarters.
1: Well, like any harmonica player, he has a <laughs> briefcase of every different key. exactly. That's right. And the, and, and the thing is the. Uh, the, the one he's playing is a uh, sort of a chrome one yeah. in the in the earlier episode, and the one he hands to the guy in North Star is kind of a black one, and it looks to me like a Larry Adler chromatic harmonica because mm-hmm. I could see that it has a lever on the side, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, that's a chromatic harmonica. The one he's playing earlier in the show is not; it's just a it's just a large C. So, as a harmonica player, I picked that out. <laughs>
0: So that was your favorite part of the episode was the harmonica, right? <laughs>
1: uh, I liked seeing the harmonica. I also, my, my favorite shot in that episode, I do uh-huh. have a favorite shot. And it's when um, there's a table, there's a, there's it's kind of an extreme close up, a second unit kind of shot of Bennings putting this this revolver on uh, the table. Yeah. Mm. And he rotates it and mm-hmm. he says, shoot me between the eyes. And it's this really cool close-up of this beautiful, like, peacemaker you know, or cavalry pistol or whatever it was. It was this gorgeous gun. And, and, and the digital close-up, because these digital super awesome lenses and, and, and quality these days, it just looks so good. And I was, that's my favorite shot. I always think of that when I think of that episode. And when he kicks the, the stool out. He pushes the stool out yeah. for the kid to sit down.
0: Well, we were talking before the show, and you said that you don't have the Blu-rays yet, but you would love to see what Enterprise looks like in full HD. Mm -hmm. And now that you're describing this particular shot to me and talking about the the cameras, you've got to get the Blu-rays because, (laughs) yeah, as soon as you said there's this table and this close-up, I was thinking of the exact same shot. Yeah, it's so nicely done. We mentioned earlier that Archer wears the clothes well. What did you think about... (laughs) just as a viewer knowing that they don't have replicator technology either. They go down to this planet and they've got all this clothing and they've got yeah. the guns and everything. And Did that throw you out at all?
1: Yes, it did. In fact, the first thing I thought today and every time I watch it, even I think the very first time I watched it, so ten, whatever, 2002, 2003, whenever it came out, there was this kind of like alarm in the back of my head. Like, how did they make perfect six shooters oh mm-hmm. and they just chose the best fashions i mean scott looks perfect right. the way he's dressed i did notice today when he was walking away from camera that his jacket was too big for him uh because there was way too much room in the back and not okay. i mean it was perfect from the front but it was like the costumers were like oh it's okay and they just kind of left quite a lot of room in the back mm. it was kind of flowy the, mm-hmm. Like a like a like a train on a dress, almost the way it kind of opened <laughs> right. up. Um, but uh, and Trip looked great, and the way they dressed the aliens of the week, mm-hmm. the Skigarans and the humans on the planet, they were all really authentically dressed, and it, it feels like a really expensive production.
0: What actually was sort of that's another difference between it and let's say like Spectre of the Gun which is just done on a budget. This actually was a rather expensive episode. They have a lot of horses, like a dozen horses in here. They've got lots of background actors, and you know that's expensive. And and they they didn't have enough background actors, actually, for some of the scenes for what they wanted to do. So they have to kind of recycle them a little bit and have them come out, come back in. But but nevertheless, that's still a lot of people on set. You've got, uh, how many kids were there? Four or five kid actors as well? There was
1: kid actors. There were the horses, the stunts, and and of course, the explosions. Yeah. Because explosions are very expensive when you have to, because there's uh, some scenes also where I think they fire the the 19th century guns with the bullets and they hit the ground. So you have the squibs, which kick up the, Uh so you have to have a pyro guy on set for that. And there's all these things that kind of add up and they would have been kind of tertiary to regular shoots of
0: just a bottle show or whatever. they. And so this was not a show done in the middle of the season to save money. This was actually, I mean a full line production and they, and you can tell they really, really put all the fine touches on here.
1: And it was also an episode which didn't take place on the Enterprise at all, really. I mean, yeah, it took, some, there was one well, there scene in sickbay, one yeah. scene in the mess hall, and one scene on the back of the bridge. Mm-hmm. And then there's um,
0: looking out the window at the planet
1: as right, well, which, which is Yeah, easy. the mess hall But, but that was a green...
0: Where, yeah. Well, the, the planet was a green screen anyway, because uh, they oh, actually yeah. talk about how for Emily Bergel, it was her first time ever working with a green screen, and so getting her reactions to that was, was quite interesting.
1: You just got to have some masking tape. You're looking at this, you're looking at this and you're looking at this and this is how you feel. And but one of the things that someone wrote in a review years ago comes to mind as well. And I can't remember who wrote it. And I've, if they're listening, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm about to steal this, but they said right at the end of the episode to Paul gets taken hostage by, by, a, by a bad guy. Yeah. And he's like, I'll kill her. And Malcolm kind of shrugs and he shoots her. Mm-hmm. And if this was your first episode of Star Trek ever and you've never seen one our good guy just shot another good guy and shrugged. And we if you don't know what stun and kill is I mean you probably have been living under a rock because yeah. stun yeah, and yeah. kill is fairly you know part of our cultural lexicon but they don't show her again in the episode after ah. he shoots her there is no more scenes there are no more scenes with DePaul. that this reviewer years ago said this is kind of weird because they don't show her being okay <laughs> they just show our good guy yeah. shoot another good guy
0: i i don't know i don't i don't think for me it's not an issue first of all if this is the first episode of star trek that you saw then, I don't know. That would be unfortunate because it's not a good representation of of Star Trek or Enterprise. But, but again, this is the fifth live action television series of Star Trek, and there are all these other science fiction shows. And I, I kind of feel like any viewer, unless you're from you know a, a, a tribe in Africa or South America or somewhere where you don't have television, you're not watching. You know, if you're from most countries that that have active entertainment on television day after day i think that pretty much everyone at this point knows that there are these space weapons that can kill and stun. It's just sort of kind of a given. So
1: I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. And I would have done exactly the same thing. I would have written it the same way. I'd had him shoot her. That's great. It's
0: kind of a... Might have been nice to show her like walking into sick bay or something, right? At the end. Like, right.
1: She could have just walked into sick bay or yeah. walked, well, she could have walked away from Archer when he and Bethany were looking over the planet at the end. She could have given him a pad or something yeah. and walked away. And oh, there's Paul She's fine.
0: Could have had her inner quarters burning candles, you know.
1: I, I think it's a, <laughs> uh, a homage to the movie Speed. Okay. When when Malcolm shoots to Paul, because there's that whole scene in Speed where he's like, what do you do when the gunman has a policeman hostage? Shoot the hostage. That was what, and, and remember that becomes like a keystone in that mm-hmm. movie. It's like they have to shoot the hostage. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that may be where that came from.
0: Yeah, it could be that. And I think in this case also it was just done sort of as a comedic thing as well.
1: Like, it was a laugh line for Let's sure. Shoot the bag. <laughs> so. Everybody wants to.
0: <laughs> also in here, the way and we were talking about how this wasn't a cheap production. Uh, Archer shoot turning the phaser on Max and then burning the 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 uh, upper level of mm-hmm. the building so it yep. would cave in was cool as well of course they had to figure out you know how to build that that so he could fall through and not get injured and also i like that archer then you see him clearly turn the level back down on the phaser before he shoots the guy again
1: absolutely it's it it would not be star trek if he didn't stun him i know he wouldn't be a starfleet captain who you love if he just went around killing people then again if he killed the guy he probably wouldn't be in the wrong. He's trying to kill him. You know, it's it's a yeah. weird yeah. kind of gray area. What happened though, right after that scene, when Archer kind of, he walks right to the end of that uh, area and he kind of looking around, he's an idiot because he's looking, <laughs> he stands out in the open and anybody who knows anything about tactical, you know, situations knows you stay undercover until you've cleared the situation. He doesn't have any of his security kind of come over. They're not closing in with him. Everyone's staying with the shuttle and Archer, the most important man on the ship is standing in the middle of the room waiting for someone to shoot him. Oh, and then somebody does the guy takes a shot and he's horrible. It's this, this, wound on his shoulder and you could see the I think you can see the squib actually but yeah, uh, you, you can yeah. see the damage to the uniform yeah. and then you see Bennings behind him or Billings or Jennings whatever his name is he's <laughs> hes um he's like trying to to get another uh, get bullet another shot ready off, to, yeah. to shoot him to kill him and he mm-hmm. gives up and he throws his gun down and chases Archer into the horse storage area.
0: Which was a cool scene too because it was a real horse and they're rolling around underneath this actual live horse, um, which I guess sounds weird to say because obviously it's, it's a horse, but you know, these days, and even when this was shot, you know, they could sort of composite that and make it, they could find a way to do it without them literally rolling underneath a horse as they're fighting each other. But it, it's really authentic. They're really there in the stable with the live horse standing over them.
1: I think it kind of brings the whole thing about the fact that animals are trained for television. And that you know, there's a, there's a trainer there, and he's watching. And you have Vince Dedrick, uh, the stunt coordinator, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He always doubles uh, for for Scott in every scene. He's always Scott's double, mm-hmm. and so he kind of he was coordinating, and he was in the scene. He knew what he was doing. He rolled underneath the horse. It was actually, I think, fairly simple stunt work. But one of the cool shots is when when Benning's first comes into the barn, and he's he kind of looks. You see him look up, which I think was a mistake because Archer's waiting for him above him. So you see Benning's walk in, and he he looks up, and I think, like, oh God, he looked up. I never saw that before. So he really should have seen Scott waiting to jump on top of him. And then of course when he does jump down from the second level, that is and clearly is Vince. Playing Scott jumping because he's a he's a bigger guy, and he has different color hair. But you know, it's always kind of fun to to, to watch uh, them do that. They did some really cool stunts in Cold Station Twelve with the same. Kind yeah, of the guy.
0: but I I don't pay much attention to that. Even watching it on Blu Ray, it's like it's quick and didn't really catch me. It's not like in the original series, especially on Blu Ray, where they're having a fight scene and it's like two guys that look nothing at all like the two characters that are supposed to be and they
1: stay on and they stay on it's like like it's almost like they're waiting for a reaction from the stunt guy (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh crap let's go back to bill which never
0: bothered me growing up watching the original series on tv and then when i had it on vhs but once it's on blu-ray then you're like wow that is not kirk (laughs)
1: Well, I think one of the scenes that really sticks out in my memory where it was definitely not William Shatner was mm-hmm. in the fight at the end of Space Seed Yeah. When he's fighting Khan yeah. and they're jumping in the round in the engine room Exactly,
0: that's the one I'm thinking of specifically And it's just like, yeah.
1: that is not William Shatner I mean, at all Maybe I mean, Not even the same like age
0: Was that Chris Pine and Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know. I, I actually wasn't paying. I've only seen Star Trek into darkness once and I don't, I didn't pay attention too much, but now they do a lot of digital work. Yeah. So they will paint a, a, a stunt man's face green or they will use those dots and then replace his uh, face. I do it in. That's actor.
0: cool. Yeah. Someone tweeted a picture a couple days ago of Khan from the wrath of Khan, but they had Photoshopped Benedict Cumberbatch's face over Ricardo Montalban's face And I said, you know, that's what George Lucas would do. If he released a special edition of The Wrath of Khan, he would replace Ricardo Montalbán with Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: I think that, uh, yeah. And the funny thing is, you have two incredibly good actors there with Ricardo Montalbán and Benedict Cumberbatch. They are both class A actors, but they're so different.
0: So different, yeah. Definitely. I
1: don't even know how Benedict could have the name Khan. I don't know how that would ever work, but that's for another day.
0: That's for another discussion. (laughs) We've actually had a discussion many times on the network. Um, But about this here, Archer and Kirk, one thing that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to before we move on is you talked about how Archer walks out in the open unprotected. Mm -hmm. But I think that's one of the things that makes it feel like a TOS episode as well because Kirk would have done that. Kirk would have just walked out. I mean, maybe... I, generally speaking, I think Kirk would fall back. But we also see Archer falling back here as well. He's behind the shuttle pod for a lot of the time. But whereas in that particular situation, I could see Kirk also in the heat of that just heading out there because Kirk, he believes he's invincible and he's going to go out and he's going to take care of business. Whereas Picard pretty much wouldn't. You know, Picard would fall back because he's more of the ta- tactician. I, I feel like Archer here is being that that early captain the way that uh, Kirk is compared to the later captains, where he's more, I'm going to go do this myself instead of remembering that I'm in command and my crew needs me and needs to make this, sure nothing happens to me. two
1: things that jump out for me, though. One, Malcolm is not doing his job. <laughs> Because his job, his primary job on a planet's surface, if he's with the captain, yeah. is to be in front of a bullet. That he is the captain's secret service. And in this episode, his, literally
0: you know, a bullet, not a phaser exactly. beam. Exactly. Right? I, I
1: mean, yeah. I know Malcolm, he's constantly going, I'm prepared to die on this ship, captain. Uh, if, if If we have to go to warp and I'm on the outside of the ship, that's fine. But he doesn't back his captain... He, I mean, he didn't even have to follow, run with him and do all that sort of shooting and the guy falls through. Uh-huh. He could have run and caught up with him once the captain cleared the enemy and then been with him and pushed him when he saw the bad guy about to shoot at him. And that would have been just as heroic because then it would have shown that he was on it. Yeah. But we have a, what we have is a lieutenant who doesn't do his job.
0: Yeah, I think that would have <laughs> been more realistic. But I think that for the image of Archer himself... And the type of captain he's supposed to be at this point in the series. I think if Malcolm were running out there and kind of shielding him, people would have been feeling a little bit like, come on, Archer, you're the captain. Take care of this.
1: Oh, I, I totally get it. And I can <laughs> see it from both sides, though. But I, I would you know, I always kind of look at the situations, you know, in Star Trek when especially in next generation, when they don't do the right thing tactically they're out in the open they're yeah. they're open to attack and you mentioned something about Captain Picard would Captain Picard do that and I was having some sort of conniption over here because I'm <laughs> seeing all those scenes where Jean-Luc Picard jumped into the thick of it there was that one episode where those people beamed onto the bridge and they just put a bomb on the warp core Patrick jumped on that guy and took him down I mean and, and then they stole him and they went they, they kidnapped him yeah. but, but Picard was on it he yeah. was going to kick ass.
0: Yeah, I, I I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I feel, generally speaking, though, Picard and the Next Generation is much more of let's protect the captain, let's let the first officer handle these things, let's let the security people handle these things more so than oh, sure. TOS oh, yeah. was. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I was just pointing out that so, Picard does have that macho, yeah, yeah, he, does, he does when he I needs mean, it. He, you know,
0: if you mess with Picard, he'll take you out. You know, he's a he's a very very fit <laughs> captain. Uh, I I think playing it this way, though, brought it back to the TOS prequel side a little bit more, Mm -hmm. which was good to see because it's so easy creatively after doing TNG DS9 Voyager to kind of stay in that mold. And when they do fall back into the TOS era and before, I like it because it shows the devotion that this is a different time period and we're not going to just do the same thing that we've done on the other shows. Here's a question for you. Michael Demerit, on his commentary, said that he feels that North Star signals the moment when Enterprise really found its voice as a series. And I was just sort of scratching my head as he's saying that and, and thinking, I I don't really get that because I feel like by the second season, Enterprise had really found its footing and knew what it was as a series. And even for most of the first season, I think they did a good job. And in the third season, they're doing something completely different from the rest of Star Trek. I didn't really get why he feels this episode in particular was sort of this milestone moment for Enterprise. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, that's a really weird thing for him to say to me as well. Uh, I don't see this as being a sort of this is where Enterprise became Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um uh you know, if we're speaking literally, Enterprise became Star Trek Enterprise in the episode Extinction right at the beginning of season three when they <laughs> added Star Trek. Which we Star just Trek did Enterprise. last week
0: on here, in fact. We did a <laughs> rewrite of Extinction.
1: <laughs> so, uh, but, well, I, you know, I kind of look at it the same way you do. Season one had some great stories. Shuttlepod one, They really those characters came into their own. And I think Enterprise came into its own in pieces. And then, uh, you know, in season two, there were some amazing stories like First Flight, which dealt with A.G. Robinson Mm -hmm. and uh, played by um, Keith Carradine, who an actor I love. So bringing him in to play a Star Trek captain, I was like, awesome. God, I wish they would keep him. I wish they hadn't killed him off because he would have been he, he'd he have been a great archer. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's great. And I think that kind of – that brought to Paul and Archer kind of to be – that episode was their kind of coming together point. Mm-hmm. So I think there are several episodes which kind of come together for different characters. Unfortunately, Travis didn't get that much attention. But, you know, each kind of character uh, – the doctor has the one where he uh, – doesn't know if he wants to tell the captain if he knows how to cure a disease. Yeah, dear he doctor. doesn't think it's quite mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that's a great episode, and that's when he kind of, oh yes, he's a Star Trek doctor. Yes, this is perfect. He's he's exactly what we need. And I think if you look at it that way, there are like seven or eight episodes where Enterprise kind of seals that it's that it is Star yeah. Trek.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I just found it kind of. I found it odd. I. The other thing he mentions is that they had episodes that kept getting better and better and better in terms of production. And in that Mm -hmm. respect, yeah, I mean, North Star is an extremely polished episode. And I think it has a great story. It's shot really well. It's acted really well. So in terms of finding itself uh, in bringing the pieces together in that sense, maybe, although I think they had already done that as well. So it it was a little bit of an odd. You
1: know, when I look back on the way that Star Trek evolved in the way of production from a production point of view, um, when you got towards the middle and then the end of Next Generation – Uh, It started to look a lot better once they had the new director of photography on Next Generation and they took it out of the dark ages of season two where everything was kind of dark and they brought in the new director of photography, which is Marvin Rush. And Marvin Rush is an amazing director of photography and an incredibly creative guy. And he's actually working on that new show, Hell on Wheels, which was awesome and and you could tell that it was shot by this guy with this mm-hmm. creative ability with light and i think that's kind of what took star trek to the next level in the way of shooting and then with enterprise became an all digital show and was shot and then edited more digitally and composited in a digital way it looked better and the lighting could be fixed in post if it wasn't quite right mm-hmm. so it always looked really polished and I don't see it as being like a step up. I think it was just kind of like a plateau right, for Enterprise.
0: Speaking of lighting, this is where I also think that shooting the show in HD and being able now to release it in HD on Blu-ray is important because there's the scene where Archer goes to talk to Bethany and they're in that room and there's one lantern in the room, one light, and it's the only light source in the scene. And when she moves in and out of the light, they don't shine any other light source on her from any other side. They just let her come in and out of the light. And in HD, it it works. You know, it is dark and it's almost like a silhouette, but it works. Whereas with standard definition television, I think this was hard to pull off often, which is why you have other light sources because it just becomes too muddy. You know, in a feature film, you could do it because you have the resolution of the film and and the screen. But this was sort of a, a shift in television where they could actually have that more realistic lighting on star Trek.
1: I think there's two ways of looking at that too, uh, because I'm a storyteller and I'm a writer and I try to weave symbolism into just about everything I see. I'm watching that scene and when I think back on it right now, you said she kind of walks into and out of the light. Mm-hmm. So Archer is standing there and there is a lantern near him. Mm-hmm. Archer's way is the right way. He mm-hmm. brings the light. She mm-hmm. walks into the light to talk to Archer because then she's enlightened because he is an enlightened man. Mm-hmm. She walks back into the darkness and retreats back into her world to pick up the slates and go teach the mm-hmm. kids about the humans and the Skagarians and all that kind of stuff. So she retreats out of the light Mm -hmm. and is no longer lit by archers kind of i'm bringing you Mm -hmm. the way things should be done Mm -hmm. and i know that's probably not what was totally intended there right but david strayton is an incredible director and he has been a director for many years and it would not surprise me in the least if he was thinking that way yeah
0: yeah i don't know if that was intended or not it's never been talked about in commentaries as far as I know, but it makes perfect sense. And, and it could very well be from a directorial standpoint. And if so, that's fantastic because yeah, that is an excellent, excellent point. Uh, and, and you can make it work as I was saying, because you actually have the resolution to make it work at this point. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of times in the darkness, especially stuff from the nineties when it was always shot on the film, especially night shots when it was shot outside at night, you, the muddiness of mm-hmm. somebody not in the foreground, not being lit by a light box or, or you know, a reflector being held so they could reflect some light into the scene. There, there, you could see just the, it mm-hmm. becomes kind of crappy. It's like, what am I watching? It's, this is garbage. Well, it because takes you out of the story right? because it's a visual and, 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 distraction. So. There's actually a Star Trek way to tie this up, which is Picard is on the holodeck with Data. And Data's uh, got it dark. Mm-hmm. And he's like reading, he's doing Prospero's mm-hmm. speech. And Picard is like, I can't see. I you. loved
0: that line. That's in Emergence, <laughs> right? Beginning of Emergence. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> he's like, the audience has to be able to see you. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I, I've, I've kept that in my head every time I, you know, I shoot something or I'm working there. And I was like, the audience has to be able
0: to see them. Yeah, exactly. Quick character things here. Uh, not really... A, a full section of discussion here in this episode there is james parks who plays deputy bennings who we've been talking about all the time does he not remind you so much of frank military who played bc in past tense he
1: he, he does remind me of him uh-huh. but he reminds me more of jeff combs oh really Sorry, uh, yeah he the, the guy who played wayoon and Shran, <laughs> the guy I who plays has...
0: everything in star trek he is everywhere. Yeah,
1: he really looked like him. Uh, but really? You, you want to oh. know what's really... I didn't get that. mentioned that yeah. actor. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's he's incredible in that episode. He is. He just nails every scene perfectly. Not too much, not too yeah. little. He's yeah. never a ham, which is really good because it's so easy to ham up being in the Wild West. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's a little... Uh, I was just started watching the TV show Deadwood. Mm-hmm. uh Here at home with my girlfriend, and we've been watching it. And the first episode, the first scene, takes place at Universal, of course, in the sheriff's office. And the guy is the guy who plays Benning's, and he oh, is really in that he's in the same jail cell from Memphis Full of Data's.
0: Wow, interesting. And
1: interesting. I'm and I'm and I, I'm just going okay. Someone, someone knows something here. And I go back and I look at the credits. Okay, it was cast by Junie Lowry, who does all of Star Trek. So I start watching uh, Deadwood and I'm going, okay, all these characters, they're all Star Trek actors. So she, she's bringing in all the people that she's familiar with and work well with. So it's kind of funny because it's kind of like a little bit watching a Western yeah. Star Trek with some of these actors.
0: Well, like you said, he played it really well. And also Glenn Morshauer, who played the sheriff here, played it really well. And he reminds me so much of Nick Offerman, who plays Ron Swanson on Parks and Recreation.
1: Okay, I haven't watched Parks and Rec, but Glenn Morshauer, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated actors uh, for television. And And the thing is, the guy works constantly. He is in every movie and every TV show. He is on 24. He's on Deadwood. He's in everything. And he's he's great. And he always delivers somehow, even though he is somewhat monotone, a different guy. He brings a different role.
0: Well, speaking of that, do you remember the first time he appeared in Star Trek?
1: Uh, Peak Performance. That's
0: right. He played Ensign Burke. And he looks completely, he's so young there compared to this episode of Enterprise. And he also was in Generations. He was the navigator on the Enterprise B. And he was even in Starship Mine, which is another episode where Picard kicks ass when the terrorists come on the ship.
1: Who was he in Starship Mine? He was the administrator. He was Orton. Orton, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was one of my favorite episodes. We should do one of those discussions about that episode. i think
0: we've done that on the ready room before actually yeah oh, okay yeah it's, it's, a, 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 it's a great show it's an easy to forget episode i feel like of star trek but it we did do it on the ready room i know because it's it's die hard in space
1: yeah i suppose because cool picard's kicking ass and yeah. i was like seeing well,
0: well not Stewart just that but that. the plot the plot of it too but um oh also morshauer played with bacula before because he was in an episode of quantum leap called justice
1: I, yeah, it's so crazy because a lot of these actors you'll see them kind of uh, opposite each other in different TV shows, and it really says something about the actor. Because if you don't work in television, and or you and you're not familiar with the way TV is shot, um, just a one minute lesson, everything is shot. So, like, if you're if you're having a scene of two people, everything that one person says is shot, and then everything that the other person is shot, and then we have another shot showing them have the same conversation from the side or whatever other shot the director and DOP choose to to do. So, it really says something about any actor that can hold a scene. When you go, oh God, he's such a terrible actor. He may not be that bad because if he can hold the scene and make you feel like he's having a conversation. He's doing a lot better than most people could.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, those were a couple of points on actors that always stand out to me when I watch uh, this episode. And the connection with Ron Swanson on Parks and Recreation is one that I made recently because I just recently watched Parks and Recreation for the first time. And then I went back and I saw this episode and I'm like, wait a minute, gosh, is that Nick Offerman? It seems is, the way he's. the porn spe- stash? It's the way he speaks more than anything. It's the delivery of okay. the lines. And But you were talking about earlier how Morshauer can really create different characters. So this particular yeah, character really reminds me of Ron Swanson.
1: Well, you, you know, we were talking before about kind of leaving someone out in the open and being someone who could be shot easily or kind of something else came to mind. Right at the end of North Star, uh, Sheriff, um, gosh, Sheriff McCready is is walking out with um a bunch of people as the shuttle flies down mm-hmm. and lands in the town square and if you watch his mannerisms cuz again i i really watch people for how much like a cop is he because i have a lot of you know background with law enforcement studying it, and a very strong interest in it so i'm watching this fake sheriff and he's walking out there and i'm seeing uh, him, He's walking out there towards his shuttle, which is landing. He doesn't know what it is. You see him kind of going for his gun nice and slow. He's kind of putting his hand on it to kind of be ready to do something if he needs to. Not overreacting, not drawing it, getting all kind of freaky. But it's kind of interesting because, again, he is out in the open. If somebody opens up a gun portal on that shuttle, he is, he is a target. But it also says something about Sheriff McCready. He takes his job very seriously. He's protecting everybody, and he's putting himself out there mm-hmm. in the middle of the town square. He may get shot, but that's his job. He's out there to protect them. And I always thought that kind of rang true for him. He's not like creeping along the side and getting a look, which is what maybe a modern cop would do. Right. But he's 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 being He's the, the sheriff of the town, yeah.
0: hmm. Definitely. Well, a couple of last quick points here. We're getting close to an hour, so we should wrap up. I did want to point out, we talked earlier about how this episode feels like old school TOS, but it also differs a bit. And where I see it differing, one way I see the similarity is that just like TOS, it talks about prejudice and it talks about how these uh, groups of people really have to work to overcome this distrust and, and the history that they have together. Now to that point, one thing that I think weakens the story a little bit is that we find out that six months after the Skagerans brought the humans to this planet, the humans overthrew them. And the entire basis of this hatred of the Skags and treating them like subhumans or sub-alien life forms, whatever is is based on the fact that they were enslaved by the Skagerans. But David A. Goodman talks about a parallel that he was thinking of here is the Middle East and how these people who have to live in close quarters can't get along and, and it just goes on and on and on and they can't overcome that distrust. But there we're talking about millennia of of conflict and here we're talking about six months. So I felt like the time frame Throughout most of the episode, they talk about 300 years ago. And then you think, well, wow, you know, maybe they were they were enslaved for hundreds of years and they recently overthrew them. And now everything makes sense. But if it's 300 years and it was only the first six months that they were enslaved, it's kind of a little bit weird. It
1: is because you think they would have, at some point, somebody would have just eliminated the Skagarns.
0: Well, they tried. I mean, they talk about how they weren't allowed to even marry so they couldn't, you know, reproduce, but of course then we find out that Bethany is actually one quarter Skagarin. So
1: But it's it's weird though, because if you look at it as a Star Trek story, they these humans are in effect kind of the good guys because they've risen up against this oppression yet they've taken it too far and Star Trek has a way of analyzing that it's like when have you taken it too far what is that third alternative which you could or couldn't take and that's I think what the humans did in this case they they overthrew the Skagarens great but then they put them in a position of subs- subservitude and that mm-hmm. was not good
0: that's sort of their revenge on them like you enslaved us so we're gonna do the same to you. Yeah. <laughs> but where I feel that this uh differs, like this scenario I could completely see in a TOS episode, where I feel it differs is that first of all, Archer breaks Bethany out of jail because he wants her to be able to continue teaching. Because she's teaching the Skagarin children, and Archer wants them to overcome this prejudice and and come together. Whereas Kirk would have broken Bethany out of jail because they had a romantic interest going on and he felt like he was going to save her and it wouldn't have been so much about or if it affected the future, you know, because like if you look at the city on the edge of forever with Edith Keeler, I mean, he has to make the opposite decision of what he wants. He wants to save her because he has a romantic interest in her, but of course he has to let her die in order to prevent The future from being changed but here it's sort of like archer archer knows he's going to leave and go on his way he just wants her to be able to continue to teach and try to help change the society
1: i also look at it yes he wants her to continue to teach but archer is breaking her out of jail the way i always watch this show Mm -hmm. was he's breaking her out of jail because she has been imprisoned wrongfully she shouldn't be in jail oh, for trying yeah. to teach somebody yeah, yeah. something. Right, right. He's going to break her out, and, and I should, you know, tie in the fact that there's a line in that scene where he she says, "What are you doing?" And he said, "This is called a jailbreak where mm-hmm. I come from." Right. And uh, there's a scene it's in Star Trek Five. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene in Star Trek Five when. The they're all kind of standing in the brig and they're hearing the Morse code and they're going oh yeah. stand back and then Scotty appears in the explosion sort of blast and he says what's wrong with you don't you know a jailbreak when you see one so it's kind of a line I feel like it may be a homage to that to that line
0: could be could be and then the the other thing I see here that differs from TOS is the fact that Archer leaves behind material so that she can teach them about Earth. And also he leaves a situation where the sheriff and the teacher are going to work together. The sheriff's going to change some of the laws. He understands they're outdated. And Archer leaves the society in a position where they've started to heal, and they're going to move forward. Whereas in the original series, it typically would have been, what you're doing is wrong. You should do it this way. I'm going to destroy the mechanism that allows you to continue the life that you're living. And then I'm going to leave and hopefully you'll be able to figure this out on your own.
1: Well, that's interesting too, because yes, Kirk probably would have kind of left them in a little bit of the lurch and let, you know, he's like, well, you're doing the wrong thing, but I'm not going to help you figure this out. Mm-hmm. And Archer says, well, you know, you're doing the wrong thing, but here's some pads that will teach you about earth so that you know how to behave when you get there it's kind of like he's giving them a preschool for when they go Mm -hmm. back Mm -hmm. to earth Mm -hmm. and there's really something kind of cool in that scene which is you know they show uh, dr flocks pulling the bullet out of bethany Mm -hmm. at the in the middle of the episode and then at the end of the episode, after Sheriff McCready was shot by um, Bennings, mm-hmm. you show him having been quite OK. He's moving his arms around. He raises the arm to say, yes, I want to learn about the airplane, which he was shot in the in the shoulder of, which kind of shows you that he had been up to the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. He had been treated by Dr. Phlox mm-hmm. and they'd been there for you know, a couple of days they, they, mm-hmm. they they'd helped them and yeah. probably treated the people that they'd shot with the face pistols and all that kind of stuff. So he did leave them better than they saw them when they first got there. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely.
1: And they got the harmonica back. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've covered, um, the thing is there's still more I can talk about in this episode, but, uh, but we're, we're kind of out of time. We're running pretty long here. So let's wrap up with final thoughts on this episode, Sebastian. Anything else you want to point out?
1: You know, this episode is really... Uh, we, we just started talking about something a minute ago which I'd never thought about before, which this episode is really good Star Trek mm-hmm. because it, it it really cuts to the meat of that third alternative, which is, yeah, they were kidnapped, but then they put them into slavery and took it too far. So we come in after that and sort that out and it, and you get to kind of see, okay, this is what humanity can do when they do the wrong thing. And that's what Star Trek does best. And I think that's what makes this one of my favorite episodes of Enterprise is this is actually a Star Trek Episode. It's it's mm-hmm. not it's not something that could take place on Sequest or on or on something else. You know where you just change the names. And, yeah. and a friend of mine, Patrick, he often says Star Trek is only Star Trek when you can't change the names and it be something else. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think this episode's. I'm, covers
0: that. I'm picturing Sequest now, and they go down. And they find the city of the Sea Monkeys, and <laughs> they have to help and, the and, Sea and Monkeys. And
1: Darwin is the only one that can talk to them. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I I agree. This is a great episode of Star Trek. This is my favorite of the Wild West themed episodes. Spectre of the Gun, A Fistful of Data is this one. This is my favorite episode. I think it's the best story. I think it's the best produced by far and is just the most interesting and and the characters are great as well. Supporting actors are great. And I love the style of it too. We didn't really talk about creative elements too much. I love the bleach bypass processing they did mm-hmm. on the film to give it the feel of sepia without it being sepia tone exactly. Yeah, I, they
1: knocked out some of the high colors. Yeah,
0: because I you know, my background is in is in magazines and, and I worked in pre press early on as well and all and I I Me like too. the did you really, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. Like I like sepia and I like duotones and tritones and all but i i i feel like sepia is too far like when you shoot something that way and i think they did a nice job here of allowing it not to be sepia tone but it really it has that feel you know the highlights are overblown a lot of the time Uh, it especially outdoors but it, it really feels nice and i think it gives this episode a really unique look and I'm glad I think it also makes
1: you feel that yes, it's very hot there. Yeah, right. I, I think you feel like you're you're somewhere where it is a hundred degrees or more, or and more, it's, yeah. it, it, you can almost feel the the heat ripples yeah. in, in, in the air. Well,
0: they mentioned the there. sun vipers at one point, so
1: yeah, I, I thought, what's a sun viper? That's kind of cool.
0: I like the fact that they have instead of longhorns, they have blue horns up north, and they speculate uh, on the commentary. They speculate about what the industry of this planet might be and i just picture that they're all blue horn ranchers
1: (laughs) and they all have these massive it's like cerulean blue Mm -hmm. horns on these strange alien bulls yeah 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 yeah. it's 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 cool because you know they talk about other settlements on Mm -hmm. this and it's like well we should do a fan show where we're going to go back to this planet and we're going to Maybe something didn't go quite right and they're still in their Western ways and there's another reason for it now. Mm. You know, what 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 can we go back and so much, you know, just help them figure out and, and, and because I've it is my hope and dream to do a Star Trek Western. <laughs> <laughs> I have always I mean, I'm a huge fan of Western. So every time I get to to see a Star Trek Western, I'm always very happy.
0: Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today, Sebastian. And uh, before we go, I tell everyone where they can find you and what you're working on, where they should be looking to keep up with what you're doing.
1: Okay. Uh, well, it's been great uh, doing this little uh, discussion about North Star. Uh, thank you so much for having me. If If you want to find uh, kind of out a- more about what I'm doing, I produce a series of Star Trek for the web called Star Trek The Continuing Mission, which you can find at StarTrekContinuingMission.com. And also and on hear... our
0: show, Continuing Mission, where you are on to talk about it.
1: Oh, yeah. we, we Coincidentally, uh, we have a Chris similar a name times. for <laughs> those. but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Continuing Mission and Continuing Mission are completely, completely different, different shows. Things, yes. Someone uh, the other day actually thought I was you. So... <laughs> that, 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 so, so that's kind of cool. There's, you know, not many people you want to be mistaken for, but it's cool to be mistaken for the radio Trek Maven. Uh, but, um, if you want to find out what we're doing, check out StarTrekContinuingMission.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Sebastian Pruth. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Sebastian Pruth. That's my official Facebook page. And very shortly coming up, we will be talking about a new Star Trek series, uh, Star Trek Shadows and Tyranny, which takes place entirely in the Mirror Universe, a six-part series coming soon to an audio player near you
0: excellent and not shadows and irony as i asked you about recently right
1: <laughs> not quite irony that sounds like a really uh, fun one we'll have to look into
0: that <laughs> to look into that all right well thanks again sebastian
1: thanks for having me have a good one
0: well that was really fun talking about north star with sebastian today but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm previously on trek.fm standard orbit it doesn't make any sense i mean you're 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 dealing with people who are you know stupid i mean you know (laughs) stupid and and uh just so clouded with bigotry and stuff like that that it's just like well what can you say to them earl gray
1: Oh, that's right. Because there was like a an engineer lady. Yeah, I think I think Jordy. She's, a, she's basically Ariel,
0: and she wants more. She wants to
1: see where the wait. Does she are. have thing of a bob? The orb. I think that's the thing
0: that Casey does. Is he he's able to take what the writers gave us and portray a man who is going to do a one eighty, and you're gonna okay. believe it. The ready room.
1: In watching it again today, preparing for this, I was appreciative of the fact that Wesley was there going, gee whiz. To the journey! I did like that we got to see some jeans in Enterprise.
0: But that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of bridging the gap between 24th century and now. I don't want to see Captain Janeway in jeans.
1: Because you know they'd be mom jeans, right?
0: Commentary, Trek Stars.
1: I think that the term talk soup for geeks is actually very descriptive, which I still find very strange, because I still don't know how that possibly is an example that makes sense.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people who watch... Uh, as they call it now, the soup. I don't approve of that. That's disgusting. Okay. Literary Treks. Each character had to go on a mission alone with Spock in a small craft, and that <laughs> led them all to decide to leave the Enterprise. I am not working with that guy <laughs> alone ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and introducing our newest show,
1: Star Trek Axenar, the official podcast. We've been having a great time experimenting with what works, what doesn't work. You know, what does a Klingon D6 sound like? No one really knows. We don't know what an impulse manifold on a on a or a fusion reactor on a D6 sounds like. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can get these everywhere you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. Just look us up in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is, SoundCloud. Search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to and you'll find us there. You can also stream from our web pages on our website and also grab the RSS link there as well. Speaking of iTunes, we have had a number of reviews recently and I'd like to share a few of those with you today. First, there is a review from D Nitro G who left us five stars and said, great podcast for a show cut too short. I must admit that for a show that I didn't really care for when running live, I have turned the corner on this show and it's due in part to this podcast. I have a better appreciation for Enterprise, and I truly like hearing what Trek.fm has to say about it. A strong recommend. Well, thank you very much, DNitro, nitro D-Nitro-G. I'm glad that we're helping you see new things in Enterprise and that you've come around to the show, because I think you're pretty typical of most fans, uh, didn't really care for it that much when it was on first run, but a lot of people are finding that they really like Enterprise and that it is a good show. Now that they're watching it again so I'm glad that we can be a small part of helping you rediscover enterprise also section 47 left us a review five stars and said gone before its time enterprise was gone before its time a tragedy but at least we have warp 5 thank you very short and sweet but I love the sentiment section 47 thank you so much for that again I'm glad that we can help you explore enterprise And also a review from jdeuce452 in Canada. And this is Jamie. And Jamie left his 5 stars and said, Warp 5 deserves nothing less than 5 stars. And in the review, he wrote, So I have a major problem. iTunes only allows a maximum of 5 stars. This podcast deserves at least a rating of Warp 9.998. Well, thank you, Jamie, for that. I tell you, for a 22nd Century podcast, that's really saying something because normally we can only go Warp 5 around here. So thanks so much for that. Thanks for all of those reviews. And for everyone else, please review the show. That helps us in iTunes. It helps us uh, helps other fans of Enterprise find the show. Plus, we have a reviews promotion going on right now. We've extended this until midnight Pacific time on Sunday, August 17th. Every review that you leave for a Trekafilm show will get you an entry in a drawing for some great prizes. These prizes include a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, some Star Trek novels of your choice, some official Starships collection ships from Japan with the Japanese magazine, a complete set of our original alien illustration art badges, and also Alec Peters, my co-host on the official Star Trek Axanar show, and he is the creator, of course, of Axanar, is donating a set of three beautiful embroidered patches from Axonar for those who review the Axonar show, and you can review us on iTunes and also on Stitcher and also the master feed. If you've already reviewed Warp Five, you can review the master feed, and each one of these reviews will get you an entry, and you can do that on iTunes and also on Stitcher. And after you leave the reviews, you just need to go to Trek.fm/Review and complete the form that you find there, submit that. That helps us know who you are, match you up to the reviews, and that way we can also get in touch with you to thank you and let you know if you've won. A quick note, we recently moved our primary domain to our new website, and it works both with and without www, but I've sometimes had it hang on me without the www. So if you go to review or anything trek.afilm, and the page doesn't load for you, just add www to the front and it should load just fine. But again, it should work with both. It does most of the time. If you'd like to leave us some feedback on today's show, I would love to hear from you. You can find the network on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have a community on G+. We have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can leave us a voicemail through the website if you look in the left sidebar or go to speakpipe.com slash TrekFM and we'd love to get a voicemail from you. You can also use our form at Trek.of slash contact, that comes to me by email. And if you'd like to find me personally, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, that's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And also I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Brian Jones. Feel free to hit me up there. If you'd like to find me elsewhere on the network, I do a lot of shows. There is The Orb, which is about DS9, literary treks, books and comics, and author interviews with Matthew Rushing. Also, The Ready Room, which is our big show, and I'm joined by hosts from all around the network. There's also Matterstream, and I do the daily news show Hyper Channel. And as I mentioned a moment ago, I do the official Star Trek Axenar podcast with Alec Peters. So check out all of these shows if you want to find out what else I'm talking about in the world of Star Trek. Before I let you go, I would like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They're the best source of audiobooks that you're going to find anywhere. I've been an Audible customer for 14 years. I absolutely love them, and I know you will too. And as a Trikafilm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up for the trial. Choose whatever book you want absolutely free. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that book so there's nothing to lose. But I know if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. And if you're getting them from somewhere else right now, you really should be getting them from Audible. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Thanks once again to Sebastian for dropping by today to talk North Star with me. And thank you for listening. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.